Usually, we're talking about policy on this show, but today we bring you a different kind of story. The story of Fred Weymouth, who lived as a homeless drug addict for years on the streets of Richmond until God grabbed a hold of him and raised him out of that pit. Eventually, Fred began sharing the good news with others on the street, but then some city leaders tried to shut down his ministry, but he didn't quit. Fred stood firm for his religious freedoms, and we're going to let him share the rest of that story. Welcome to Speak Up Virginia, equipping you to speak up on the life, family, and freedom issues that matter most to you. From the Family Foundation, I'm your host, Candy Cushman, with our special guest, Pastor Fred Weymouth, founder of The Fix Ministry. All right, well, without further ado, we want to get into Fred's story. But before we get into all the details, Fred, um, I did want to just quickly introduce you a little bit more personally sure. to our viewers. So I thought I would start with a question. Your ministry is called The Fix. Now, why The Fix? Um, it, it's it's a little personal, but um, it's a play on words. So, you know, um, a drug addict or an alcoholic is always looking for their next fix. Um um, at the fixed ministry, we believe ultimately Christ is the fix. So um, it's kind of a, a play on words. Uh, um, an addict coming into um, our ministry or our discipleship homes would understand uh, what a fix is. Mm. Um, and we simply uh, point them to the ultimate fix, which is Jesus Christ. Yeah. So. Because I've, I've heard your story in different venues, and I, and I hear yep. you talking about when you were living those drug days, you were right. just looking for the next fix. Sure. And so this, this is like the permanent yes. fix. <laughs> yes. Guys will come into, and girls will come into our program, and I'm, I'm able to meet with them when they first get there. And um, a lot of them say, um, Fred, can you fix me? And um, I say, no, I, I can't fix you, but I can point you to the person who can't. Um, and that person is Jesus. That's, so. that's beautiful. Yes. <laughs> yep. Well, also, you are married to a beautiful woman named Casey that really had a significant role in the mystery, uh, ministry as well. Did you want to? Sure. Yeah. Uh, you know, Casey, we, we, um, um, we've known each other for uh, 15 years. Um, so we lived together uh, before our um, coming to our faith in Christ, uh, living in sin, and then past that. Uh, we've been married eight years now, um, and it's been beautiful. She uh, she was instrumental in helping uh, with the fix, and uh, she's one of the founders of the fix. Uh, and uh, her role is um, irreplaceable. Um, she puts up with me first, um, and second, she uh, she pours into the women in the mm -hmm. women's program. Mm -hmm. um, her heart is for women and discipling women, and uh, she does such a great job at that. So. Now, if I remember your story right, you and Casey met when you guys were actually in a uh, narcotics Anonymous. rehabilit yeah, yeah meeting at um, uh, Johnston Willis Hospital there on the south side of Richmond, um, and then uh, we we got together uh, from that meeting, um, and we both relapsed mm -hmm. after that, and it got really bad. So. Yeah, so y'all kind of living that lifestyle together. Yes. And then you both went your separate ways, and then you both found Jesus separately. It's, it's a, yeah, it's, we don't have time to go into all of it. It's an amazing story. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, so I, I got incarcerated, um, and then uh, my, my wife, Casey, was living out of the back of a car. And um, uh, I went into to incarceration. She moved back home. She's from Georgia, a little town in Georgia. And um, we, were, we were separate for over a year 
didn't talk, didn't communicate. And um, I called her one day when I got out, and she had given her life to the Lord. She was actually leading a children's ministry in a church down there by then. And um, I'd gotten plugged into a local church here. Um, and then from there, it's been an amazing, amazing journey with the Lord. Yeah. So it's, it's hard to talk about without getting emotional. Yeah. But <laughs> well, let's get into some of the more the details of your story of how you found yourself in this trap of drug sure. addiction. Now, I know you've shared how, you know, eventually you were living as a, as a homeless yeah. uh, heroin addict, really, on the yeah. streets of Richmond. But that was a long journey before you got to that point. It was. And you've shared with us, you know, Fred came here and did devotions for our team. And you shared with us yeah. how this really began in high school. We uh, just... Yeah share a little detail sure. on maybe for even for parents who are listening how that was an entry point for you right i um i, I can tell you that really it started uh between my eighth and ninth grade year i can remember it vividly um, um there was uh an eighth grade dance um at the end of the school year i went to swift creek middle school in brander mill and um, um I, I hang i hung out with a certain group of, of guys um, and we gathered behind the soccer field before the dance, and that was my first um, um, taste of alcohol, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, I'd never drank before. Um, but I, I uh, drank uh, that alcohol, and um, a sense of uh, ease and comfort came over me, which I know now was um, a counterfeit, but I didn't know it at the time. Mm -hmm. And um, that perpetuated from the eighth grade into ninth grade, my high school um, um, years at Clover Hill High School. And um, it just progressively got worse. It went from alcohol to marijuana and from marijuana to other things. And, um, you know, I could give you many, many details because I remember them, like I said, vividly, um, who was there, what was going on at the time. But um, I was going to house parties and hanging out with friends in high school was introduced to heroin in between my 10th and 11th grade year. Um, and then by the time I graduated high school, which I don't even know how I did, um, by the grace of God is all I can say, um, I was a full-blown heroin addict. Mm. Um, may not have known that at the time, um, you know, uh, but I was. And uh, I went to work after that for my father in the insurance business. And um, the, the addiction to the heroin continued to spiral. Mm -hmm. So, And you were good at that business. You were yeah. successful at it. Um, yeah. So, like, you know, it's funny. Like, you, you look at drug addicts or, or people who have substance abuse issues or problems. They, they Many of them have had many successes in their life, mm -hmm. um, even in the midst of their addiction. And, um, you know, I was, I was great at, at, at um, the insurance business. I was a third generation insurance salesman, if you will. I was groomed from, I feel like birth to be in the insurance <laughs> business. I rode around the car with my dad everywhere he went, and every meeting he went to, um, my grandfather as well. And um, when I started to, uh, you know, even in the entry level of that, um, I was making good money. I was pretty successful. and. Um, but but that fueled the addiction as well. The mm -hmm. money that was coming in was also fueling this heroin addiction that I was yeah. hiding at the time. But so you had periods of success, even periods of sobriety mixed yeah. within that. Yeah. Um, but 
then, you know, it, um, well, I remember the part of your story where your father, he knew you were still struggling in some ways. Yes. So he suggested the Army, right, or the military. Yeah, yeah. So I, I can talk about that. I, um, from 18 to 20, I, I was working for my father, and um, the, the addiction, uh, you know, sp spiraled uh, mm -hmm. downward. And over that two-year period, I started missing work. Um, and, and, and I had a great work ethic, you know. I, I took my job serious, but the heroin was slowly taking over every aspect of my life. And um, it got to a point where I wasn't calling in. I just wasn't showing mm -hmm. up. And my dad showed up at the apartment at the time. And um, he, he just simply said, I know you got a problem, um, and I want to get you the help you need. And, um, I, I heeded that. I, I went mm -hmm. to a 30-day uh, uh, detox program at a hospital and um, – Hampton Roads and um, 30 days I, I, my dad met me at the door and he and he um he said he says hey son what do you think about the military and, and if you knew my father I always say this every time I tell my testimony um, I came from a very patriarchal family my my father and grandfather what they said went and um that wasn't a that wasn't a, a suggestion it was a command and um he just put it lightly, mm -hmm. and uh, really, and you knew what it meant. Yeah, I did, and uh, he, 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 only option I had he he gave me was what branch of military I was going in. Um, so, you know, it sounded it sounded logical. It sounded good at the time. You know, I needed structure. I needed um, something longer than thirty days. I knew that, um, and really, I wanted to get away from reality. I was. You know, I was had been struggling for years and just wanted something different, and it sounded exciting, and I picked the Coast Guard. Okay, and you did well in there. In some ways, it was a good thing for you, but there was still alcohol, right? Yeah, yeah. So, like, um, uh, for the next uh, number of years, I did not pick up the drugs again. Mm -hmm. um, I was able to set those to the side. But I found out quickly the culture in the military is drinking, and um. I gravitated to that very quickly. Um, and so um, they've got uh, bars on base. Um, you got 50 cent drafts till they close. And um, I found myself in those places, mm -hmm. you know, drinking and drinking and drinking. So, Well, eventually you had an honorable discharge, yeah. right? Yep. Um, but you had made the comment, I think maybe it was on your bio, that kind of just with even when you had opportunities to succeed like with the family business and the right. coast card you were still putting your faith in material things sure right? yeah and yeah you felt like that was kind of maybe where things get a little off because you're still trying to yeah explain a little bit yeah, about that. like i mean it, it's it's typical like i think we all struggle with that uh um, on the outside, right I, everything looked good i had a, a wife at the time and two children and um, you know, had, had money in the bank, um, and, you know, out, outside of everything looked really nice, and, um, so I, I started to pursue that. I, I was in the Coast Guard Reserve working for my father, again, in the insurance business, making really good money, um, and, you know, I, you know, I prided myself in the things that I had, and, um, I thought that the next car would fix me, the next paycheck would fix me, um, and really, I had no foundation in anything other than material things. Um, 
Wh- which you'll hear in a little while. Um, yeah. Was, you know, anyway. Well, <laughs> really, so, you know, there were periods of success. Yes. Periods of sobriety, even though you were, it was yeah. up and down. Yeah. But really, there was a trigger point, as they say nowadays. <laughs> right. <laughs> Something triggers right. you. Tell us what that was in your life. Yeah, well, I tell you, you know, I, I was honorably discharged from from the military, and I went I went to work for my father full time, and um, it wasn't too long after that I started double dabbling with substances again. I, I think in my mind I was telling myself, you know, it had been twelve years since I had touched an opiate or, you know, a substance. Mm-hmm. I hadn't smoked marijuana in years. Um, you know, possibly I could dabble with these things and they wouldn't cause me trouble anymore. Um, so I started to do that after I got my honorable discharge papers, but there's a, there's a, a a thing that happened uh, in 2004, uh, that was life altering for me. Um, uh, my father, uh, we, we had a a Chinese buffet that was down the street, um, from the, our insurance office. And, um, my father and I would go there regularly for lunch and, um, have y'all ever have you ever seen those um, those little fried Chinese donuts with the sugar all over them? Oh yeah, that was my dad's favorite thing to eat. So when we go there, he would eat, and then he would get three or four, or even six of them things. And he well, would, we should have brought those in today. And, and he he would eat every one of them. Yeah. Um, but this particular day, he didn't eat much of his food, and uh, he got his four or five. Um, Chinese donuts mm-hmm. and he took one bite and put it down and said you know I'm not really not hungry today and mm-hmm. um, something checked in me I, I just felt like something was not right mm-hmm. and um, he was the same size as me he was about 215 220 pound man and um, seemed healthy um, but he kept he kept the, his appetite kept disappearing um, so I we were like you know you know dad you need to go to the doctor and see what's up and um, he went and, um, um, he came back. I was in my office and, um, it's hard for me to tell the story. So, mm-hmm. um, he said, I need to talk to your son. And I was like, I could see it on his face, you know, and, um, and, uh, I want to preface this, what I'm about to say with, um, you know, I, I wasn't raised in a church. I didn't know much about Jesus, but um, I always believed there was a God. And, um, th- you know, there's no way that anybody in the world can deny there is a God, I don't think. But So he walked in the office, and he sat across from me where my clients would usually sit. And he said, son, I, I got to tell you something. And I was like, okay. And um, he, he said, um, they just diagnosed me with stage 4 colon cancer. Um, and it spread into my liver, and they'd given me eight weeks to live. And I can remember like something snapping in my mind. And um, I walked out back of our office, and um, you know, I um, physically um, flicked off God. I did. I flicked off the sky, and I said, God, if this is what you're about, I, I want nothing more to do with you ever. Um, and I can tell you from that point, that moment on until we get a little further, um, I think God turned me over to a reprobate mind. I really do. I, I started to chase after things that I'd never chased after before in a way that seemed almost suicidal. Um, 
So he did. He, he my dad passed away. It was probably um, eight or nine weeks um, after that diagnosis. And I watched the 220-pound uh, man drop down to 115 pounds in eight weeks. It was it was. It's really quick. It was and it was crushing. Yeah. So, um, then I got thrown um, into this this thing. Um, my grandfather lost his mind after that. He was still alive, and um, it was like the 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 weight of the business, the family business, was passed to me, and um. That's when really everything spiraled out of control. Mm-hmm. So, and so by 2014, you had been in and out of a lot of rehabs, um, really kind of exhausted all of your support system, and, yeah. and found yourself homeless at that point. Yeah. So from 2004, uh, when my father passed, till 2014 were um, some very dark times in my mm-hmm. life, and um, uh, my ex-wife now uh, packed up and left. The heroin addiction, I, I had relapsed on heroin, and um, I, I, I don't know. I, I didn't care about my life anymore, and um, I lost the family business. Um, the children were gone. Um, I lost the house, um, the vehicles, um, and, and ended up in, in homelessness. Would you say that there was a lot of anger, just rebellion toward God, and, and even self-destruction? Yeah, during that period yeah i i think it, in that 10 years um it was gradual um but i had lost all hope I, I had no hope in anything and you know it's funny the bible says that sin leads to more sin um and we become a slave to sin and that's a reality during that 10 years mm-hmm. you know I, I i got into this point you know like i knew it was bad i'd lost everything um and I wanted to stop what I was doing, but didn't know how. I couldn't. I mm-hmm. couldn't. I couldn't stop. I was a slave to it. And a lot of people that might look at you during that time might think this guy is hopeless, mm-hmm. but you weren't, right? Yeah. It, even though it may even look like that to you at the time. It did. It did. And God is good. Um, I, I, I think I had to experience some things. Um, I had to go through some things, and I, I think those things ultimately led me into a relationship with Christ. Mm-hmm. So. Well, let, let's talk about real quick the the uh, crisis point. You know, they yeah. say with yeah. addictions yes. that you have to hit rock bottom. I don't know if you agree with that, but you did, in a sense, hit rock bottom. I did. Where uh, you found yourself yes. sleeping behind a fast mart you, yeah. on a cardboard. You told me it was Valero. Yes. And, um, and that was... It was kind a, of a turning point. That was the turning point. Yeah. So, you know, part of, part of my, um, y- you know, par- part of the depravity of, of Fred during that time was, um, you know, I, I would meet uh, women and I would use them to find a place to sleep. I would sleep on their couch or next to them in their bed. They'd get sick of Fred and Fred would be out again. And, um, and in the midst of all that, um, you know, Casey and I, we were in the middle of our addiction. So, um, you know, we'd get together and then we'd split up. And it was just a, a crazy time. And um, this one particular time, um, and this is hard for me to talk about too, um, but I, I was I was staying with a, a, a woman and um, I had gotten to this uh, point of, of – of hopelessness where um, I would rather um, 
be okay with staying with someone for three or four days knowing that they had someone else coming, so I'd have to leave. I don't know how you know deep I want to get into that, but this one particular time I felt so bad about myself, I had to pack my clothes um, into this rolly suitcase. I'll never forget it. Um, and I looked at that suitcase standing on that woman's front porch, and that's all I had left was in that suitcase. And then I walked uh, probably six or seven miles in the middle of the night and into this uh, fast mart. Mm -hmm. That's where I found mm -hmm. myself. It was anything open, 24 hours. And I said, this is all that's left. And uh, I went back in the woods behind the Valero, and I kind of camped back there for a period of time. Um, but it was one of those nights. Um, uh, it was about July or August, I believe. This th That time in my life is a blur because I was mm. so messed up. But um, I couldn't get the mosquitoes off my face. It was 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning, and they were eating me alive. And I just cried out to God. I, I, I cried out to God, and I said, this is all there's left in my life, that suitcase and the, these cardboard boxes. I said, I, I, God, I would... I would pray in your mercy that you would let me down in my sleep um so that was a snap um for me like i can remember physically flicking god off and telling him to leave me alone and then mm. in this moment i said god please help me really that's what i was crying out for mm. um and something happened i i, I can't explain it to anyone really mm. um but I, I didn't sleep much that night but i got up that next morning and I can look back now and see how God's sovereignty um, got me into some places that I needed to be. Um, so that that was that breaking point for me. Do you feel like the reason things change is because that breaking point is a place of humility, or what? What do you? How do you explain like kind of the snap? Yeah, like you said, yeah. you can't really explain it. But. Right, but I but I, I can I, I can I can absolutely uh, walk people through Luke fifteen, um, the prodigal son, and show you. Um, that process in my life mm -hmm. um, so you know and and like when we read that that parable it's like a son and a, a father but it wasn't my my earthly father it, it was my spiritual father mm -hmm. it was God and um you know I wanted I wanted God to give me what I wanted and I wanted him to leave me alone Mm -hmm. and 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 he gave that to me and and I took it and I squandered it and I ended up in a pig pen um, I can tell you that I ate things worse than pig slop. No. Um, and I did things in that pig pen that, that aren't in the Bible. Um, but God is good because in that breaking point, it was a, a level of humility. And I think that he He humbled me to in such a way that um, it's easy for me to see my pride now. Mm. Does that make sense? <laughs> it's also amazing to see that just – the incredible mercy and love of God. Like, you know, for, yes. first you, as you say, flipped God off outside yes. into the air. Yep. Then you're crying out for his mercy and he is so loving, his steadfast love that he answers that prayer. He he did. It, that's he, he did. Well, it's just like, it's just like the, the, the parable. I mean, he, he ran to me and wrapped his arms around me mm. and he kissed me on my cheek. Mm. And I felt the love of God for the first time in my life. I don't think we can really fathom <laughs> the unlimited love of God can't. but you your story gives a glimpse you can't you can't you can't fathom it all yeah so well when you experienced firsthand 
this unlimited love of God, of course she wanted to share it sure. with other people. And we're kind of kind of speeding, fast forwarding through sure. how God transformed your mind and all that. Right. You know, right. we don't really have time to get through all that, but it's an amazing story of you just getting hungry for the word of God, just yep. having this supernatural hunger for the word of God. He gave that to you. And so there's some years, I'm not sure how much time where you're immersing yourself in God's word, yeah. but then you wanted to share sure. that transformative power. Yeah. And I love how you told me you were going to the very same places in Richmond that you were strung out, that you had been sleeping to share yeah. this gospel. Tell yeah. me about that a little bit. Yeah. So I, um, so when, when I came off the street and got uh, let out of incarceration, where, where really I heard the gospel for the first time and received it, um, I, I uh, got plugged into a local church. Uh, the local church happened to be across from the uh, Fast Mart that I'd been sleeping behind. And um, the, the men there discipled me. And uh, through that process, uh, somehow, miraculously, I got hired on at a paper mill and um, went from making zero dollars to like $22 an hour. And it was an amazing blessing from God that I'll never forget. So my wife and I at the time, Casey, uh, at the time were living above a garage in an apartment, um, just getting started. And um, now were you married at that point? Yeah. Now we yes, skipped a lot. Yeah, that's okay. And maybe we shouldn't have skipped so much. But you, right. you heard the gospel in jail yes. or what? Yes, in jail. I was in um, uh, incarcerated. Went to a church service that they had every other Thursday. Uh, this man preached the gospel, um, and I went back to my jail cell, got a hold of a Bible. 11 years ago and i haven't put it down a day since i, I absolutely love god's mm -hmm. word and um and you end up marrying casey so yeah now you're living over the yes we're living okay. above a garage and um we're both on fire for the lord she's working in a missions coffee shop um and i am uh working at the paper mill um and we pay all our bills every month and i've got tons of money left over and i'm praying to god what you know what do you want me to do with all this um money and um I, I said why don't we go downtown and let's just love on some folks and i'll get them some um some sausage egg and cheese mcmuffins and we'll just love on them and pray for them i didn't know a whole lot then i had no aspirations whatsoever to do anything in ministry other than just share the gospel and share the love of christ and that's kind of how um we got started so we i started going into some of the places i would sleep uh when i was downtown um, I was in and out of uh, Caritas, if you've heard of that, um, sleeping. Um, shelter. Shelter, shelter, yeah, okay. yeah, on the street, um, going to a program, get in trouble, get kicked out. Uh, it was just, but but I met a lot of people. You and mean when you get kicked out trying to minister to people? No. Oh. No, so like before I came oh, before, to Christ okay. and all these programs yeah. I was trying to stop using, um, I'd go and check myself into a so program. So you knew where all to go. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So God had orchestrated all that. And um, so I just started going downtown, really around the Shaco Bottom area mm -hmm. and Commerce and that, that part of Richmond. And um, just started to love people right where they were and um, hand them a sausage, egg, and cheese McMuffin and tell them Jesus loved them. Can I pray for you? Um, and that's kind of how, um, you know, I got I got into ministry, mm -hmm. you know, Um so it was a beautiful time in my life, my wife's life, and um, we we saw fruit in all that. It was beautiful. 
And you told me you, you feel like 80 to 90 percent of people that are on the street, it's either drug addiction or yeah. mental illness. Yes. I um, th- And that's that's big for me because, um, y- you know, I, I would say, you know, we minister to homeless now still and um, we do it twice a week. And I feel like, you know, talking to people, helping people, getting people into programs, um, 80 to 90 percent of homelessness, um, I, I I would say, is due to, due to drug addiction, you know. Wow. Um, so. Well, I also love the part of your story where you, you were thinking, I'm just going to feed and meet needs, but I'm not called to preach. And one <laughs> of the pastors said, nope, yeah. it just kind of pushed you yeah. up there and put you on the spot. And then yeah, kind of went from there. I, um, that, that's. That's something. Like, like I said, this was never, never part of my plan anyway. Um, but, you know, I'd been ministering for a year or two down there with my wife. Um, my wife would cook meals. We had some other ladies that would cook meals, and we'd take them down there. And um, I, you know, dragged another pastor down there, um, and he was very unsure. Like, what are we doing down here? And um, he, he, he saw, he saw like these people, these homeless people. And these people that had drug problems were approachable, and they were people, and um, and they were hungry. And uh, he said, "You really need to start teaching these guys the word." And I'm like, "Man, I-, I can remember being like, this is not what I'm doing. This is why I brought you down here. Yeah, you're you- doing this. You're doing this." And um, he's like, "No, these people, these people respect you, and they listen to you, and you need to start teaching them." And um, against my will. Um, I, st- I stood up and, and I, I, I preached, um, um, for the very first time down there and it would, you did it in the farmer's market. It's on 18th street. That's kind of where we got started. Um, and it was beautiful. We saw it go from six or seven homeless men to, and this is not an exaggeration between homeless people and church people that would come and listen to the word. Mm-hmm. It was um, it got it in upwards of 200 people mm-hmm. on every Sunday. So, so you so you got to the point you're basically having street church out there. Yes. Um, yeah. But then things got big enough where right. you actually ended up getting a cease and desist letter. Sure. Tell me so, about that real quick. So c- kind of to keep keep it um, to keep the facts straight, I, I, the 18th Street Market became um, not an option. I think it was due to the fact that they were tearing it down and rebuilding it. Yeah. Um, so we moved from there across from Main Street Station under the overpasses, which was awesome because we we had uh, access to plugs. They got you know community plugs for electricity there. We could plug in our sound oh, equipment. I didn't know that. Yeah, okay. and um, and also the overpass. So we we can't we do this whether it rains, sleets, snows, or it's the sunshine, mm-hmm. and so. That overpass actually worked out well because it blocked the rain when it was mm. raining. Um, so it did. It it, it it was successful there as well. And a lot of people were still coming. And um, um, that that's when um, I, I think some of the business owners in Shaco Bottom um, started to not like what we were doing. Um, so now, why why wouldn't they like what you were doing? I, I think I think there is a stigma around homeless. Mm. Um, it's bad for business. 
um, okay. not in front of my even, shop. Even though they're, it's worse when you're not doing what you're doing. Yeah, I, I, I think the, the uh, Shaco Bottom has notoriously been a place where homeless people are and live. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there are places along the canal that they sleep and put up tents, and they're, they're just a part of your Shaco Bottom experience, if you will. <laughs> you know, and yeah. um, but I think some people um, have a stigma. They, they have preconceived notions about these people. Um, and they feel like they're unapproachable and they avoid them. And I, I think that's, that's sad. So know? then the, the police were kind of put in a position where they had to act on that. Yes. So there's, so you're getting the cease and desist emails. Yes. Or, yeah. yeah. I'm getting, um, you know, so we met, it, we had a great Sunday. Um, and one of the local businesses there showed up and, um, in my nativity, I didn't realize exactly what was going on. I just wanted him to know Jesus too, I guess. And um, he he went back. This person this person went back, I guess, to city council and, and started to complain a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of forced their hand. And um, I guess the police then were um, forced to send an email telling me that I couldn't meet there anymore. And if I did, there would be legal repercussions. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had to, I, I simply emailed uh, the, the lieutenant back at the time and said, look, you know, I, I respect your authority. I, I believe it's God-given. Um, and um, in no way, shape, or form want to be disobedient or break the law, but I have to do what God called me to do. Um, so I will be there Sunday, um, and I just want you to know that. And uh, he emailed me back and said, um, look, you know, please, please don't meet Sunday. Um, you know, I want to work with you and and the uh, city council members that um, are having issues uh, to find you a place maybe that you can meet because I think what you do is important. So, and in fact, he told you that police calls were down. I don't know if it was him, but at one point it was when they were um, there yeah. were those on the police trying to advocate for what you were doing. Yeah, yeah. So they said the police calls were down the two hours you were out there. Yeah, that was awesome because um, when we did have the meeting, um, the lieutenant and some other uh, police officers advocated for what we did um, and really voiced um, their concern that, that during the time that we were there on Sundays, um, their calls, number of calls that they got into their precinct went down. Um, so, so I was blessed to hear that, you know, mm-hmm. and I, I think that on the hindsight of that, I think we always have to remember that God has got allies in places we don't least, yeah. re- least expect, you know. And we can be, expect to be attacked when we're trying to share the gospel, not at, attacked physically and necessarily, right. but we know right. the right. disciples, the apostles, also they're sharing the gospel. <laughs> they have people trying to shut them down. Sure. So sure. that I, shouldn't be surprising. No, but, I, I, yeah, you have to keep going like yeah. you did. Yeah, I think yeah. um, I, I think you know there's spiritual warfare um that surrounds um the gospel and it may look different here than it does in other countries where it's blatant in other countries. Yeah. Here it's done through the legal system. So mm-hmm. that's my opinion. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I love this one part of your story where during while you're kind of in the middle of trying to work this out with the city and the police. Yeah, you figured out that you won't be arrested or whatever would yeah. happen or find or whatever it is yeah. if you kept moving physically while you're sharing the gospel and don't stay in one place so tell me about yeah that so I, I i think um you know it's it's kind of like i went back to where we started from and um you know in the very beginning my wife and i were very mobile um we walked and we talked and we met people on the street corners um 
But, you know, I still wanted to meet needs, and um, I still wanted to share the love of Christ with the people that God had called us to do that with. So we got a bunch of wagons and packed them down with ice and water and the food that we usually served on a Sunday night. Um, and then we, we just made it mobile, and uh, we, we, we toted the, the wagons behind us and stopped where we saw our people and would love on them, pray for them, share a word with them, give them their food that they usually mm-hmm. had gotten on a Sunday night. And we just kept it moving. And um, we did that for a period of time until we were able to have that meeting uh, with the city council and the police. So, so it worked out. They weren't able <laughs> to hit you at the fine or anything because yeah. technically you're not loitering in one yes. place. Like, yes, yes. That's awesome. So, yeah. So um, it so, worked out. And um, cause this yeah, one praise lieutenant, the Lord for that. This one lieutenant was actually trying to advocate for you or maybe some others yeah. as well. You felt like there yeah. were, you had some friends on the police force sure. that saw the good. Yeah. So they eventually they let you rent something. Yeah. So we... Um, we eventually uh, were able to rent a parking lot from the city there, um, right off of Broad Street. It's at 18th and Grace, um, and we, God, were a- we got the Grace part in there. Yeah, we were able to, um, you know, continue to minister to the folks God had called us. Is to. that so, where you still are? Um, so, so yeah, it's it's beautiful. So, um, they are getting ready to tear that parking lot down um, and build a um, a parking garage in Shaco Bottom. So what we've done is uh, we partnered with the local church um, there. Uh, so now uh, we're able to bring our folks indoors into the church um, and serve them a hot meal there. But it also has running water and bathrooms. So it was really a, uh, a blessing to okay. be able. And that's really um, where we were headed when we first started is to be able mm-hmm. to partner with someone to use their facilities. Mm-hmm. Um, because really... Um, being able to use a bathroom and wash up um, and have AC during the, the, the hot days mm-hmm. um, and then uh, heat in the wintertime is a blessing to these people, whether it's for an hour or three. Mm-hmm. Um, they can get out of the elements. They can cool off. They can wash. Um, they can get a good word. and They can get a good meal. So mm-hmm. it's, been, it's been a blessing. So we're actually meeting in a church um, there um, it's about a mile from the parking lot, mm-hmm. um, and it's, we've seen some good success. So, so in addition to this street ministry, for lack of a better term, yeah, yeah, um, you've also have a rehabilitation center for both men and women, sure. as part of your yeah. ministry. Right? Yeah, it's been it's been good. I, I can tell you, uh, when I was in 18th Street Farmers Market preaching there, um, uh, I was going through a word, and this guy uh, came up. I, I know him by name, and I can see his face. Um, would you simply say his first name is Preston, um, came up in the middle of a sermon. I mean, right dead in the middle of me speaking and handed me his heroin and his needles. Um, and said, I want this Jesus you keep telling us about. Um, so the next two or three weeks, I, I worked diligently to try to get him into some type of program. And, um, I hit roadblock after roadblock, no insurance, no money, no ID, um, a, a lot of programs, believe it or not, don't like dealing with homeless people. Um, they're hard. Um, so in that moment, I, I can tell you in the moment, because he showed up two or three weeks later and said, Fred, I want to stay sober, but I can't do it on the street. And see, I understood what he was saying because I'd been where he was at. Uh, God broke my heart to be able to start a, um, a discipleship home for men first, mm-hmm. um, where they could come without red tape. Um, they didn't have to have insurance. They didn't have to have money or an ID. If you're willing to give it a shot, I'm willing to have you in our home. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so that's where it was birthed from. This mm-hmm. this fixed ministry was birthed in that moment. Um, I started to pray along with my wife that God would provide resources to make that happen. Um, somebody donated us eleven thousand square foot home on thirty acres. We started the men's home. We now have thirty two beds. Um, right now we have twenty six students um, and four staff that live in the men's home. Well, if I want to ask you, yeah, if, yeah. if people want to help out, yeah. What can they do? What are some basic needs or just any way that people can help that you'd like to highlight right now? Yeah, um, I, I think um, um, first off uh, is um, always financially. We don't take grants or government money. Um, we don't charge people insurance. We don't charge for our services. So um, we, we we rely on God and God's mm-hmm. people to be able to provide for that. and. And what's that URL if they want to go and donate? Or um, so, so we've got um, we've got a Facebook. I mean, a, um, a, a uh, PayPal. Okay. Um, I don't know the URL right off the head. Well, the well, just the, the website you can get there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's www.thefixedministry.org, and you can okay. give there. Um, okay. Secondly, we always need volunteers um, um, at our thrift store and some other places. Um, there's many ways to get involved. So. You know, I, you can reach out. There is a there is a volunteer form on the website. Okay. If you're interested in helping in any way, you can fill that out, and we get an email of it. Okay. So, what are some supplies people can sure. donate? Sure. Um, so we always need perishable items, eggs, milk, uh, things we cannot get at the food bank. Okay. Um, uh, we, we serve probably, um, the, the last I counted, is about 3,200 hot meals a, a month. Um, the guys themselves go through about 80 eggs a day. Um, and then you add the 14 women on top right. of it. So People, Fred needs eggs. All eggs right. are important. Okay. The guys get grumpy if they don't eat. So. All right. Well, Fred, as we bring this to a wrap-up today, sure. I thought it'd be good to just kind of go back to a spiritual note real quick. Yes, ma'am. And I just love what you posted on Facebook the other day because I'm following you now in your ministry <laughs> and everybody else should too. You can you can go to the website and follow that. Yes. But um, you posted this um, description of kind of your your journey yeah. through this whole process and how you could really view it through the prism of what you were putting your identity in along the way. Yeah. So you had three pictures posted and one was the first one was during your drug addict days. Yes. And you said that was when I was putting my identity and my um, drug of choice, so to speak. Yes. Then you had a picture of kind of the highlight of your ministry when you're up there preaching. And you said, I went through a period of time when I was putting my identity in in ministry work, so to speak. And then you have a picture of Jesus on the cross. And it's it's a pretty raw picture of him suffering on the cross. So let's just close out with you telling the audience why that is significant to you um explain the importance of that those three pictures and what you were trying to get across i think um uh, what we put our identity in is important and um you know i've found throughout my life i've put my identity in so many different things and uh, you know first you know and I, I i in no way shape or form um, on any podcast ever try to uh, downplay or talk about other programs um but for the longest time, I was in and out of twelve-step uh, uh, fellowships and programs that were secular, and um, I found myself uh, putting my identity in the, my drug of choice. So I would sit around in, in some circles, and I would call myself an addict or an alcoholic, 
And for a long time, that's how I identified myself. Um, and I, I found that to be very, very um, deceptive. And what I mean by that is um, the, the sin itself in my life became my identity. Um, I'm a drug addict. I'm an alcoholic. I'm a heroin addict. Um, and then even in my relapses and my use, um, I would put my identity in those same exact things, that lifestyle. Mm, that's um, interesting. Uh, and so, like, c- coming into this knowledge of Christ and, and being born again, it was it was an amazing time in my life. And I can remember uh, when my identity uh, was simply in the fact that God had saved me and my, my salvation and my testimony and what, what who Christ was. And, um, you know, as the Lord um, continued to open doors in my life and my wife's life, it came, became very easy to fall into the trap of, um, I'm Fred, the founder of the Fixed Ministry. I'm Fred, the pastor of this church, or I pastored that church, or um, I, I am, you know, identifying myself with my works. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I came to a place, I, I, I don't share this a lot, where I was um, pastoring a church in the Fixed Ministry. Uh, COVID had hit. I was being pulled in 17 different directions. I was uh, more worried about what people thought than what God thinks, and um, I, I hit this uh, this bottom that I never felt in the 11 years I've been following the Lord, and um, I locked myself in a room for a couple weeks, um, was very depressed, um, because I, I it put my identity in my works, mm-hmm. and not in Christ, and that, that last picture is important to me, because I, I, I look at the the um the offense of the cross if you will i try to look at it daily because christ should be the center of my identity always um not what i do not my good works not not that i'm pastor fred but i'm fred um a follower of christ and that that always brings me back to what's important Mm -hmm. so fred would you close us out for a prayer. Will you, will you pray for those listening that maybe they're in ministry and they also are putting their identity in their ministry, yeah. getting a little burned out with that? Yeah. Would you also pray for people that have um, loved ones, friends struggling with addiction in their life mm. and they and maybe it looks hopeless to them yeah. um, and maybe even the addict that might be listening yeah. or that this gets sent to. Yeah. So let's close. If you'll close us yes, out in prayer. I will. Thank you. Let's pray. Um, Heavenly Father, we, we love you. We thank you, Lord God. I, I, I echo um, this, Lord God, that um, this podcast would give you glory, um, that would give you honor, Lord God, that uh, simply um, as people listen to this, Lord God, that they would know that there is a good God and there is a Savior in Christ. Uh, Lord, I, I, I pray for uh, pastors and uh, ministry leaders um, everywhere, um, Lord, that they uh, would put their hope um, in you, uh, first, Lord God, before they do anything else, uh, not their ministry, not their church, uh, uh, Lord, that they would simply see you and chase after you. Um, Lord God, I pray that they would work on their vertical relationship because, Lord God, we know that um, from that vertical relationship flows our ministry. Um, so, Lord God, I just pray for them this morning. I know it's uh, a time that can be discouraging, uh, a time uh, now in our culture where um, we seem uh, sidelined or unimportant, but Lord God, I pray that you would press upon them uh, the fact that um, they are important. Um, they are the front line, and Lord, so give them strength and courage. Um, 
Help them not to be a people pleaser, but a God pleaser. Lord, I, I, I pray for family members. I pray for family members every day. Uh, Lord, I, I pray uh, if they have a loved one that's suffering, Lord God, they would cry out to you. Um, they would intercede on, on their behalf, Lord God, that they would not grow weary of praying. Um, so, Lord, give them strength to continue to intercede on their loved one's behalf. And, Lord, I, I pray for the families uh, this morning, Lord God, that actually got a phone call and that family member is not coming home. Lord, I pray for a young person, Lord God, that may pick up today not knowing what they're getting themselves into. Lord, that you would reveal to them um, clearly the path they're about to walk down. Um, Lord, I, I pray for those who may be in the grips of addiction uh, today, Lord God, that uh, you would intercede, that you would call them out, Lord, that you would simply pluck them up. Um, Lord, I pray that you would put somebody in front of them that would share the gospel, the good news with them. Uh, Lord God, and you would open their hearts to receive that. Because, Lord God, I know there is freedom in your son, Jesus. Uh, so, Lord God, I pray that they would cry out to him today. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We give you glory for this. Uh, and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you, Fred. Let me thank just you. <laughs> thank you so <laughs> yes, much just for your honesty and opening your heart up to us. And yeah. Just want to thank everybody else for joining us for Speak Up Virginia. If you want to get more information about the Family Foundation, we are at familyfoundation.org. And don't forget to share the playlist for our YouTube viewers. Share our playlist for Speak Up Virginia. And also, if you are on Spotify or uh, Apple, those audio platforms, be sure to give us a review if you find what you're hearing meaningful so that we can reach more people. And remember, we are stronger when we speak together. See you next time. Thank you.